I have not seen a single one of you since last year. And uh, we do wish you health, holiness, and happiness in this new year just begun. But even though it's New Year's Day in the church, it's still Christmas Day. Uh, Christmas is celebrated for an octave, eight days, just like Easter. Uh, and the season goes beyond that even. We'll still be celebrating Christmas next Sunday with the arrival of the wise men. But in this January the 1st, the Feast of Mary, the Mother of God, we hear about who was summoned first to the manger. And it wasn't the kings, even though they were there to hail a king of kings and a prince of peace, Gabriel chose that the first who would come and pay their respects at Bethlehem were the shepherds. Now the shepherds, they were always with their flocks, seldom with their families, and that meant they were cut off from the community. They were at the far end of the information superhighway. They were the last ones to know anything about anything and the least likely to be able then to report news of any event to anyone else because they would be the last ones to discover it. And yet as proof of Jesus' words that he would utter 30 years later, the last shall be first, the least shall be the greatest, he who humbles himself will be exalted, it was those at the very bottom rung of the ladder, those at the very fringes of society that were the first ones to follow the light of the star to come and celebrate with Mary and Joseph there in the barnyard in Bethlehem. And it was a special and unique moment, one that Mary pondered and treasured in her heart. But what's beautiful is that Jesus, even though he's a king, when he grew up he wasn't going to become a carpenter like his stepfather. He would identify as a shepherd, a shepherd who feeds his lambs, a shepherd who leaves the 99 to look for the lost, wounded, and wandering lamb, and a shepherd who lays down his life for his flock. And at that very moment, he who was born to die that we might live became the lamb, the altar, the priest, and the sacrifice. Always reminding us, why was Jesus born? For one purpose only, that he might die for us, that our sins could be forgiven, and that all of us would have the chance to follow that light of the star back up to heaven and to be with God forever in eternity. Today, we celebrate the fact that shepherds came and shepherds went and proclaimed good news of our Savior's birth. It was an encounter with Christ that inspired them to do so. And that's what the encounter with Christ is meant to do for all of us, that we don't just take these things and hold them to ourselves and keep it a secret. No, that light is meant to be spread beyond the walls of this church, out into the community. And that's the role that we play, that when we come here to the Mass to encounter Jesus in the Scriptures, on the altar, in the manger, uh, with each other, then we too, like those shepherds, are sent forth to go and let other people know that in the darkness of this world, a great light still shines and wise men do well still to seek him. And that is how we witness to the faith and word and in deed by our charity, by our mercy, and by the good things we do out in the community. For many years, January the 1st has been this feast day of Mary, the mother of God. And Mary is known by so many different titles on the church's calendar. More than a dozen feast days dedicated to those various titles. Our Lady of Good Counsel, the Mother of Perpetual Help, the Queen of Peace, the Queen of the Miraculous Meadow, Our Lady of Mount Carmel, Our Lady of Fatima, Our Lady of Lourdes. The list goes on and on. But I would venture to argue that perhaps this feast was one that was more near and dear to Mary's heart because it suggests the very special relationship she had with God in two directions, God the Father in heaven and God the Son first in her womb, then in her arms, and then watching him grow up into a man and our Savior. 
But inasmuch as this feast of Mary, the mother of God, is steeped in history, it's also shrouded in controversy. It goes all the way back to the beginning of the 5th century. Now, up until that time, the church had been a tight-knit community. Why? Because they faced a common enemy. Our Christian ancestors were under constant threat because it was a crime to be a Christian anywhere in the Roman Empire. There were no churches. People had to gather in secret and risk their lives in doing so just to be able to hear God's word and the chance to receive Jesus in the Eucharist. And as long as the Christians faced a common enemy, there was very little conflict among them. But at the beginning of the fourth century, when Constantine became the first Christian emperor, how things changed. First, the change in the empire. At the beginning of the fourth century, it was a crime to be a Christian anywhere in the Roman Empire. By the end of that century, you had to pay a tax if you were in the Roman Empire and you were not a Christian. But no sooner had peace been achieved between the church and the Roman Empire then the Christians began to argue with each other, and it took the form of heresy or false teachings. First, there was Arius, a priest, who said that Jesus is a great man. He might even be a perfect man, but he's just a man. He denied the divinity of Christ. That is why the bishops of the church gathered 1,700 years ago in Turkey in a town that at that time was called Nicaea, and they defeated Arius and wrote the very same creed that we recite in every Catholic church and every Sunday Mass now for these 17 centuries so that we may know that Jesus is God from God, light from light, consubstantial with the Father. No sooner had Arius been defeated and that creed proclaimed than there was the patriarch of Constantinople. That's the beginning of the 5th century. His name was Nestorius. And whereas Arius was denying the divinity of Jesus, Nestorius refused to believe that Mary, who was immortal, could possibly contain in her flesh that which is divine. He thought she would just explode. It seems that both Arius and Nestorius failed to realize the hinge that Gabriel places on the whole Christmas story. What did he say to Mary when she said at the Grotto at Nazareth at the Annunciation, how can it be? Simple answer. Nothing is impossible for God. Shouldn't Arius and Nestorius then have come to believe that if God wants man to be fully human and fully divine, that will be Jesus. If God wants a virgin to be with child, a mere mortal, to have the word made flesh dwelling in her womb, nothing is impossible for God. Nestorius was taken on at a council also in Turkey. It was called Ephesus in the year 431 AD, and they defeated his teaching, made him repent of professing it, and then they gave Mary this beautiful title. It's better in Greek, the Theotokos, the bearer of God. That Mary remains a woman, but it also enabled Jesus, who is God, to be like us in all things but sin. And whereas God could have chosen to send a son like a Marvel superhero riding on a thunderbolt down from heaven to earth, instead he chose that Jesus would be born of a woman and of a womb just like we were. That he might know a mother's love just like we did. That he who has looked upon the worlds he made from all eternity from heaven above would now be able to look into the eyes of his mother and see the love uh, that would nurture him and prepare him for the ministry he was to undertake. But not only is this a title given to the Blessed Mother, St. Paul suggests in Galatians, our second reading, that there's a special title reserved for us as well. That if Jesus is God and God is our Father, then Mary is our Mother. And if Jesus can call God Abba or Dad and Mary Mom, he believes that we should as well because we share in his promise, we share in his inheritance, and they are spiritual parents for us as well. More importantly, that means we have to recognize and treat each other 
as brothers and sisters in Christ, sons and daughters of God. And let that be our charge then as we embark on 2023, as people are going to keep their New Year's resolutions for the next week to 10 days, let's keep a spiritual resolution that will go even further and baby steps that will help us to imitate Mary, trying harder to pray more, to sin less and treat people better. It's a reminder to us that Mary, not Jesus, is the model of Christians according to the church. Why? Because of that special devotion that she had to God the Father, to God the Son, in holiness, humility, and purity.